0: So today we got Paul Larson, who's a uh, high-intensity expert here on the podcast. Uh, it will be a fascinating talk here because I uh, listened to one of your podcasts here recently on the Elite HRB, where you uh, went to great depth in the, on the, the benefits of the high-intensity training. So uh, welcome uh, very much, uh, Paul.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. Good stuff, Paul.
2: Great. We're looking forward to this one, so we are.
0: Yeah, it was, it was fascinating to hear you be very explicit how you uh, target various systems and your various types of training. So we'd like to get into that and also your holistic approach. Before we get into that, maybe you can take us back to where it started and your background and, uh, and, and all that
1: sure yeah so i always say i'm a failed athlete so um and yeah, that's <laughs> Welcome my, <to> <laughs> like so many of us right but uh i was just my i was mesmerized by sport as a youth i just thought it was so cool growing up in uh, in vancouver canada you know watching olympics and these sorts of things and then becoming uh fixated on the sport of triathlon um that was the one that caught my eye and i, I sort of uh it, it was back in the 80s when it was like um it was really you they were the crazies that were out there doing the ones, right but I liked I liked that attention I guess ultimately that it brought bit bit ego based but whatever um and and I I set my mind on trying to be a uh a top triathlete and then when it when it gained um entry in the Olympics that was what I wanted to kind of focus on trying to do and I did that for about uh Oh, maybe five a good five years wasted a good five years trying to trying to sort of do that and, and traveling around didn't pa- didn't pan out and um what do you do when you when you you know your your dreams fail you Well, you you try to figure it out and a lot of us turn to sports science and that's where i that's where i went did bachelor's and master's at university of british columbia won a nice scholarship to the australia um, to australia and university of queensland in brisbane and that's where the the aussies were kind of kicking goals at that time so I went down there and did some projects also with the AIS got my PhD in the wor- in the world of high intensity interval training because I wanted to um sort of I always had this idea what when I was a, a athlete trying to be a uh, a, a top triath- triathlete I, I, I wondered what is the best session to do on any given kind of day and um that was sort of the question that I set out to to get in my in my PhD was, was to answer like, what's the, what's the training session, the hit session that gives you the most bang for buck. And anyways, that, you know, published all of that. And then, um, yeah, then, um, you know, a little bit more time in Australia, became professor there and went over to Perth, Australia, Edith County university. And that's really where I met my, my key colleague, Martin, Martin Bescheidt. And he came over and we did a bunch of studies there in Perth for a long time. Really, you know, we, we went a little bit, little bit crazy in terms of trying to pull all the different levers of, of interval training, you know, in your intensity, your duration of your work boat, the recovery between and all these sorts of things, there's so many, there's almost like an infinite type n- number of ways you can skin a cat, like we like to say. But that's what the research that we did for a long time, published literally hundreds of papers in the in the area, and then um, wrote a, a big review in the in the the, the journal Sports Medicine, two part review, and it became uh, one of our, our most cited in the in the field. And then um, a I guess the uh, Roger Earl at Human Kinetics asked us to come and write the book, basically. And we put that's really where we packaged a lot of that um, that information into the book along with so this is called the science and application of high intensity interval training, so we outline the science in 10 chapters, but then we also put in the application. Um, with uh, you know, drawing on a lot of our network around the world in do um, kind of come in with 20 different sports and they they actually say how they apply that hit training the science of that at in their context. Because everyone, you know, you've, you're CrossFit, you're telling me, well, you're going to have a certain context that you apply your, your HIT training in. And that's going to be completely different to maybe my triathlete or a soccer player, a football player, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, so that's ultimately, yeah, I mean, 20 years, Australia, New Zealand, uh, two Olympic cycles in the New Zealand Olympic program, leading their physiology program, London and Rio cycles before arriving back where I am right now. I'm in the little ski town of Revelstoke. Uh, and... Yeah, my wife and small family here is uh, in in Revelstoke, and that's uh, and now yeah, I continue to, to to make hit science, and uh, also looking at I uh, like technology too. I'm a, I'm a tech geek, so we were actually using the hit science principles and putting that into a program called uh, Athletica, which is uh, yeah ultimately leveraging those those principles. But that's kind of a Cole's notes of my 30 year history in the world of uh, of exercise physiology and its application to, um, to athletes. Yeah. That's the one, one thing I fit, I forgot to mention. I, I also caught the love for coaching and I coach many, many top triathletes around the world and, and other endurance athletes.
0: Yeah. That's uh, yeah, it will be a fascinating talk. Cause I, I would like to ask you so many questions. And now when you say team sports and the CrossFit and triathletes, I know they're very different, but I know you work with, you know, the aerobic system and aerobic and neuromuscular. Could you go into those how you work with those systems uh, and also I know you have different uh, levels and how you work with that? maybe give us a few examples later on if you compare like a triathlete versus a football player team sports if you know any any differences with examples and then go into maybe later on holistic approach, but first off like these the aerobic system for example
1: yeah, that's a great place to start we We like to start with the the target so Again, with the, the background, where we kind of came to um, in both the reviews and the book was we kind of, you know we like, uh, we, we all, our brains all like simple models. So um, everything should be as simple as possible, but, but not simpler. So yes, there's three main physiological targets that you can hit when you do any sort of training session. You have an aerobic target, right? Think of your heart and lungs and the aerobic muscles. But that's often that's usually the bulk of most uh you know cardiovascular any endurance type based sport is that aerobic target but as we're you know as we'll speak on there's also that anaerobic target as well right so think of your blood lactate your um think of the um, muscle glycogen stores that you that you have and think of the yeah the, the hydrogen ions etc so these are important systems for certain athletes they might you know put, potentially just It looks like uh, there's lots of that in the CrossFit. Think of your Rugby Sevens, um, you know, some of these other type high intensity exercise where they require that system to maximize their performance. Then we also have, and this one, this one's across just about every single sport, but you can do a session and you get, you know yourself, you get a large neuromuscular, musculoskeletal type stress or, or load on the system. It's not really, it's very difficult to quantify, but we know it is there. Think of the muscle recruit, maximal muscle recruitment that occurs. Think of the muscle soreness that you often have for days. that, that is an, a good example of a neuromuscular musculoskeletal load stress on the system. Um, and that needs to be quantified as well. So those are the three sort of you know targets, right? So those are the three sort of targets that you'll probably have for any sort of training training session. Now here's the cool thing about hit is that your HIT session, it doesn't have to be um, you know all guns blazing and really, really hard. You can actually, if you know how to move the levers of HIT, you can actually have a session that is low in the air in the neuromuscular and musculoskeletal strain to preserve that that system you can have it low in the anaerobic uh um i guess load um and then still have it have the aerobic load up there just depending on how many you know uh the the duration of your your workout and the intensity of 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 the sorry the in the intensity and the duration of the rest boat that that really is, is uh, dictates the anaerobic load and we can go into that in a little bit more detail but that's those are the three key targets just to just to start us off so your aerobic target your anaerobic target and your neuromuscular target
0: okay very interesting and as far as uh, the aerobic i mean usually do you use any type of uh, guidance as far as with breeding because you could say patrick i guess If you nose breathe, you switch about when you uh, to mouth being roughly 35 liters if you're, I guess, a normal person. So that could be your anaerobic threshold. Do you work kind of like the guidance? So you have some sort of knowledge where you're at Uh, not that it's perfect, but uh, any any type of uh, uh, breathing component into that or you stay strict with like uh, with how you work or that would be
1: interesting to hear. Yeah, well, that's a really cool one. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm only, I'm really just, so I actually started in the world of, uh, with my master's work, I was starting in the world of uh, understanding um, respiration and its influence in exercise. Um, I, I was studying really the phenomenon of exercise-induced arterial hypoxemia. So this is the low saturation that we get in, we see in elite athletes when they're at very high cardiac outputs and there's many different reasons why potentially that's occurring um you know due to a relative hypoventilation due to a pulmonary uh you know a um a pulmonary
2: uh gas exchange
1: yes exactly so um due to yeah there's 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 a variety one the Bohr shift um but regardless, uh, yeah, it's been a kind of a while and uh, we do actually include that, that section in our, um, our HIT science training, but one of the things, uh, you know, I guess it, 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 we really don't focus on that when we're looking at, um, when we're, when we're looking at our HIT training, we, we haven't really, um, but only now I'm actually just starting to, to look at respiratory muscle training and whatnot. Um, in a targeted approach to actually look at, you know, the um, like, whether you can actually like isolate the respiratory muscles to to target those specifically to, um, to improve improve your perfusion at high intensity exercises. Um, Because that's often there's a reflex issue and other factors at high intensity exercise that often can hamper us. So Again, you know, we started with the aerobic, anaerobic, and neuromuscular targets, and that's what hit science is all about. Where we take that targeted approach and we hit any of those in in any given time. But if your lungs are are your you know respiratory muscles are the limiter in terms of that you know your your overall performance in those, then why not uh, target those to uh, you know? basically up your performance right um so that's what we're looking at and I'm, I'm just in this training program looking at both the respiratory muscle endurance as well as the strength the expiratory strength and yeah just uh you know just piloting but that's probably where I'm going to go next because I'm seeing some nice nice improvements just in my own you know uh, age group hacker uh kind of performance but that's where all these ideas kind of start and um it's kind of been something i think that has been forgotten a little bit um, because yeah. it's hard to, hard to quantify the
2: essence of it, Paul. So you're talking about, so if diaphragm fatigue kicks in, blood is going to be stolen from the legs to feed the diaphragm. And you're talking about the buildup of, um, in terms of then training those breathing muscles, using various devices. Uh, one aspect could be even switching to nose breathing and maintaining nasal breathing, both during rest, enduring low to moderate physical exercise, because by breathing through the nose, you're, you're adding a resistance to your breathing, both on, on the inspiration, but also in the expiration. And the other aspect is that nasal breathing is going to disturb the blood, blood acid-base balance a small bit. During light to moderate exercise, there's going to be an increase of carbon dioxide in the blood from the normal of, say, 40 up to maybe 44 millimeters of mercury. And blood oxygen saturation, the SAO2, can drop down to not so much during low to moderate, but when you ramp it up a bit with mouth breathing, it could drop down to say, for example, 94%, 93%. And with nasal breathing, then you can drop it down to about 91%. I think playing with the breath itself, because when you are talking about aerobic and anaerobic, it kind of makes sense then, well, how can you play with the breath to influence that? That by say, for example, exposing the body to higher carbon dioxide, to reduce the ventilatory response to hypercapline, but also to reduce the ventilatory response to hypoxia. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the Bohr effect that you pointed out on, if, for example, an athlete is performing physical exercise with a high, they've got a good tolerance, a high tolerance of carbon dioxide, the increased CO2 will cause a right shift of the oxygen dissociation curve, allowing more oxygen to get to the working muscles. Could this be beneficial in terms of, with increased oxygen delivery then to those working muscles due to that athlete being able to tolerate higher CO2, that it's going to delay fatigue. And the other aspect then is, if, for example, we're doing long breath tolls, I'm interested now that we have a physiologist and which with you in terms of and having the conversation, doing breath holds to drop the blood oxygen saturation so that the hydrogen ion coming from the muscles doesn't get oxidized. And one of the theories is that the hydrogen ion associates with pyruvic acid to form lactic acid which in turn dissociates into lactate and hydrogen ion so in order to delay fatigue if it's caused by a buildup of hydrogen ion we do breath holding to deliberately expose the body to higher hydrogen ion to force the body to make adaptations and um, just i'd be very interested in your thoughts on it because the theory is the theory and But the one thing that we've seen over the years is recovery. And also our whole idea would be with an athlete who can cope with higher levels of CO2 that they will have reduced dyspnea for a given duration and intensity of physical exercise. Because sometimes you're gonna have two athletes and they're, they're two highly trained athletes, but one guy is breathing harder and faster for the same duration and intensity of exercise than the other guy. And a strength and conditioning coach might put this down to poor condition, but we would be looking at it, well, this guy could have dysfunctional breathing patterns, because if your breathing is off during your every day, then your breathing is, is not going to suddenly correct itself during physical exercise. And I've seen MMA fighters, professional athletes, and Daniel as well, and they can have dysfunctional breathing, um, which doesn't get picked up on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot there, but I would I would think um, simply put, it really kind of comes back to the, a you know, the development of the aerobic system. And the more you can develop your aerobic system um, through many of the methods that you just mentioned, the more you're going to spare that that anaerobic system. So, for example, um, a lot of the I think a lot of the nose breathing work that you're that you're saying and the. The various, you're almost kind of creating a, a hypoxic type situation, um, or a hypercapnic situation, and then you are, you know, you're you're inducing the uh, signal to cause for mitochondrial biogenesis, right? Uh, likely via AMPK, I guess, in that in that that context. And um, AMPK to PGC1 alpha, and then the various downstream um, adaptations that you get more, bio, more, more mitochondria, more um, conversion to type 1 fibers, um, better use of sugars. Um, there's one more, but ultimately, these are the things that are going to make you feel like you're, it's all about energy at the end of the day, right? So ATP is going to be supplied. Eat, you know more easily. So those two examples that you just gave, the person that is that is doing this more easily, um, they're going to be better off, and they're going to be able to, you know, throttle in and use their anaerobic system when it really kind of all counts. And they're going to have a, in theory, if that's the same person, they're going to have a much better outcome. So yeah, I think you know I believe in all of the various different uh, strategies that you guys are using here. I'm a big believer in nose breathing, especially during your. You know call it your um you know your maximal aerobic function running or cycling like you know your call it your um you know exercise within your at or around your fat max or your um you know our, it's usually like uh l2 that The is kind of the cutoff point your aerobic threshold this is you know it's all around this kind of area but and, and nose breathing itself in to my mind is almost the simplest method of, of actually finding out where that point, point kind of lies. So, um, yeah, and, but then, and then, but I know I'm not a, a big, I'm not a believer of only do that. I'm a believer of really getting a variety of different stimulus. So I, I believe that almost kind of in the polarized um, approach to training that like many of us see in the exercise uh, realm, Um, because that tends to be that you know the bulk of your training should sort of be in that aerobic um, nose breathing kind of um, area however maybe you know potentially 20% or 10% to 20% can be in this more the upper echelon uh, exercise uh, intensity domains where you are getting these anaerobic targets maybe you are using mouth breathing for those for that particular Um, uh, period of time however keep in mind that you are now recruiting the larger muscle units that you're not going to get as much when you only only nose breathing right we don't want to lose our uh, the ability of us to recruit those large powerful um, fast twitch muscle fibers because we're on basically uh we're on a a roadmap to for for us to not use those in our in our lifetime and the if we can tell our body through the neuromuscular stimulus through the through the big you know large like recruiting those maximally at you know a little bit of during your during your your training week say for example we're, we're going to remind them that we're going to still going to be using those so don't shut those down for us please mm-hmm. um i need those to function and that's going to be really important later in life too right when things like balance and um, all of a sudden you don't even know it, but you're coming across and you've got to lift something heavy. You don't want to use, you know, lose that because you're going to run into the problem of injuries. So lots of different contexts out there for different people, but I'm a big believer in still hitting that target uh, at some time, you know, usually in your week, but I don't believe in the all guns blazing and that's all you do. Like, and there's some people in the CrossFit world, Sorry, Daniel, I believe they they can (laughs) be very, you know, they're they're just they're they're really focused on only hitting that. So I'm kind of believing in the best of both worlds. Context is 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 key, but a little bit of both. Um, And yeah, but a lot of it sort of stems if there's a core so much stems from our from our breathing. And, you know, you guys started with this, uh, just how important that is for us to to sleep um, so, and a lot of that, uh, comes from a solid aerobic foundation and, uh, and yeah, and, and solid nose breathing. Mm,
2: it's, it's kind of amazing though. One question that's often intrigued me is why haven't sports medicine investigated nose breathing more? And I would agree with you. It's not that we want any athlete to ever switch hundred percent because that doesn't make sense either. And during competition, of course, it's going to be mouth. But in terms of the nose during part of the training, but also using breath tools um, in making those adaptations and also protecting. So, for example, triathletes, many of them will be prone to cyclist cough and cyclist cough is due to high volumes of cold, dry air coming into the lungs, which in turn is going to suck moisture out of the airways, which can bring on inflammation and their lungs then is going to take a while to recover. Whereas nose breathing with nitric oxide can moisten, moisten warm the incoming air. Mm-hmm. So that at least part of the cycle that the cyclists can maintain nose breathing to help protect the lower airways, that the upper airways and the lower airways, which is one airway, it doesn't get traumatized. And the other thing as well with the cyclists that they're hunched over, which can in turn affect the breathing, the biomechanics. So by breathing through the nose, you'll typically get a better recruitment of the diaphragm. And then during the swimmer, so if the swimmer then has a reduced ventilatory response to the buildup of carbon dioxide, that swimmer then can do more strokes per breath. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to lose so much then on hydrodynamic drag. Um, But it's often because this is information that has been kind of overlooked in some ways. Do you, would you have any perspective why the importance of nasal breathing, and it's not just about nose breathing, but as one factor within breathing, it's also about improving respiratory muscle strength, and it's also about stressor exercises, including breath-tolling, to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis. In a way, they've been overlooked from sport and medicine, because we would love to see more science on it. I think it would be tremendous.
1: Uh, I couldn't agree more. But what, what I'm discovering, right? So again, I've been in this field for 30 years or so. It's crazy how old I am. But that's I can't believe I'm still finding all of these pieces that maybe they've been investigated, but man, I haven't seen too much on it and uh, yeah. someone was suggesting to me some of the reasons you just spot on right so the other ones the the other one that's completely been missed is the that we're doing some work on with hit science is the anaerobic speed and the anaerobic power reserve and it's ultimately that you know there's different uh, there's different animals out there with different fiber type makeup and that basically everything above via two max is a bit of a mystery zone and we're so athlete dependent depending on what you know the role of the dice that ultimately they've sort of had and their 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 fiber type makeup regardless back to your point yeah nose breathing also we have just completely these myths and pro- maybe the reason is that well how do you measure it things that we things mm-hmm. that get measured they get they get talked about and purported and then taught by the university professor right so things like we've got the heart rate monitor we can always you know we can always measure heart rate in the field we've got the vo2 cart but think about think about the vo2 cart right your metabolic cart your standard vo2 max metabolic cart what do you do you put a nose clip on on yourself right so we're always measuring the vo2 and we're also measuring the the all, all of the you know fv1 and fvc blah 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 all these sorts of things you're you're putting a bloody nose clip on all the time so you're mm. always clamping it So that is why I think we've completely missed everything that you guys have thank goodness found. And uh, yeah, all the points you kind of make, I was telling you the book breathe that I've read as well. And it's Mm. the same sort of similar things that you guys are talking about. They're so bloody important. And for any exercise physiologists that are in there and they're doing a master's or a PhD or they're in a, in a bachelor's and they're thinking about doing that for goodness sakes, um, think about doing a thesis in this area because we really need the research out there on this. Because I think there's there's a goldmine of of findings and practical applications that are that you know that need to be purported because of that.
2: One one professor has been interested. His, his name is Professor George Dalham and uh, I think he's from Colorado State University. He trains a lot of triathletes at the high level in the United States. He, he did an interesting study in 2018 that was published. He got 10 recreational athletes. Okay, they weren't elite leisure, and it's a very small number. But he had them breathe exclusively for six months through their nose during all physical exercise. And at the end of six months, of course, now, it only takes about five or six weeks, typically for the body to adopt. So initially, when you switch from mouth to nose breathing, the air hunger is a lot stronger. But if you continue doing a physical exercise with your mouth closed, the air hunger diminishes. Mm -hmm. So he waited for six months. And at the end of six months, then with a graded exercise test, he had the individual's mouth breathe during it, and he had them nose breathe during it. And with nasal breathing, they had 22% less ventilation. And that's only one study, but unfortunately, it's the only study. So I think it would be, you know, it's just definitely something worth teasing here. Um in in terms of that you know I was always intrigued so yeah so Paul you're the the first physiologist really that I could hit once you told me you're the PhD I said it's all guns blazing here's a question for you so thanks for answering that
1: no no worries no it's just um yeah you think about the other thing that it does that I think also gets missed sometimes is that it causes for exercise when your nose breathing at first it's difficult right when you first yes. start it it's re- but then after you get kind of used to it like you you're, you're, I, I believe you're sort of forcing your body to um into the parasympathetic fat burning state um a lot more and that is like so much in exercise is Um, you know, the more we can leverage the ability of our body to burn fats, as opposed, as opposed to burning carbohydrates and, and, and using the, you know, using the stress hormones to do that, the better we seem to be off better off we seem to be. So, um, I think there, there's probably something also there as well. And that's, you know, that's what, when you're, when you're building more mitochondria as well, that's, that's what you're doing, right? You're adding to, you're, you're changing the fuel um distribution you're burning more fat relative to carbohydrate because that's what mitochondria love right so all these sorts of things and a, and, and it's just it's so simple to do right like but it's so hard to do uh, initially initially mm-hmm. and then you get kind of used to it but yeah just like it's you know, and if there's one thing you can do when you when you go out there and exercise is is definitely work towards breathing more through through your nose in your day right for some uh, periods yes.
2: of time, definitely, yeah,
1: yeah, for periods of time, exactly. So, you, um, you, yeah. you, Paul, you had you mentioned
0: on the Elite HRV uh, podcast your six-level system. Uh, could you take us through that because that would be interesting to hear? Because I think intuitively you can almost see the way to breathe. I think level four, the hardest one, is probably almost have to go not 100% mm-hmm. mouth breathing. You know, maybe 70 or 80 percent because it's all out. the rest of the systems you can maybe shift it so it would be interesting to see if you can take us through level one to six uh how you what you target
1: yeah yeah so this goes back to those three physiological targets where we started that's how we get there um our hit types right so when we're if we're looking at solely uh, an aerobic stimulus Um, we would be looking at, um, you know, something like we've got to we've got to turn down the lever of the anaerobic and the neuromuscular metabolism. So to turn down the neuromuscular response, we might we might um, not do this running, but we might do this on the bike. So we might be using more concentric contractions as opposed to in the running where we're looking, we, you know, it's a little bit more, um, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're combating the, the effect of gravity. And then you, you can add changes of direction in there as well to, to up the neuromuscular component. So again, we're turn, turning that off. So you're doing this probably on either a rowing ergometer or, or on a bike. So that's, that's the, the neuromuscular response low. And then for the anaerobic metabolism, we really want to take, utilize, um, utilize the myoglobin. And the myoglobin also is another thing that's been forgotten. But myoglobin is like the muscle hemoglobin sits in your muscle cells and we can leverage that. Basically, it resaturates so quickly when there's a pause in your activity. So, for example, if you're going to work hard for 10 seconds, you might pause for 10 to 20 seconds thereafter. And during that 10 to 20 seconds there's a very quick resaturation of the myoglobin that's in the muscle. And then, um, and basically if you keep that up, you ultimately wind up so that you're just continuing to use the aerobic metabolism. You can actually almost go to pretty much reach VO2 max um, doing this format, if, if it continues, but have a blood lactate level of, you know, below four, which is quite Quite profound right when you think about it would you never do a vo2 max on a standard ramp test and you you know with a with a, a blood lactate level of of less than four but you can do that if you are if you're doing such a such a type of format so um you know where we reach where where you um, pass nose breathing into mouth breathing in that format hard to say but that would be that would be the one where you'd be probably be able to keep your nose breathing going for the longest period of time would be the type one. Now the type two, basically we just ramp up. You might do that exact same format, the 10 on 20 off for, um, repeated. And then you would, um, maybe add the change of direction that I mentioned, or add the, uh, add the running component. That'd be a type two, because that's aerobic on anaerobic, down neuromuscular, um, neuromuscular on. Ah, uh, type three would be now we're adding the anaerobic component in this. So we'd add you know we basically be um, so aerobic, anaerobic, and neuromuscular low. So in this sort of situation, you would be basically lengthening the the work bout and intensity. So maybe going so twenty seconds on or or longer ultimately, if you wanted to do a long interval, and then your rest or recovery bout between those bouts can be a little bit shorter. So now, um, because you know, you're you you're permitting anaerobic metabolism to to match that of the aerobic metabolism, be a little bit, you know, both are high, but again, you want neuromuscular low in the type three. So um, this is, uh, you know, we might be doing this on the bike again. And then type four, like you said, is all guns blazing, aerobic, anaerobic, neuromuscular. So this is all of your classic VO2 max intervals, um, usually on the run. Um, so, so something, you know, uh, standard, you know, three minutes on, three minutes off, you're doing five of those and you're, you know, you're really hearing your breath at the end, right? So, um, you know, quite, quite evident. And then the type fives, now we're turning off the anaerobic component and, ana- it, sorry, we're, you know, we're turning off the aerobic component, excuse me, and we're having maximal anaerobic and neuromuscular. And these are things, the classic Gabala, um, you know, 30 seconds all out and then uh, five minutes rest and then repeat. A lot of CrossFits are sitting in your type fives uh, and, you know, yeah, these are big neuromuscular and neuromuscular strains. They, you know, you're definitely feeling them, but aerobic uh, component is kind of low. And it's it's uh you know it's it's usually associated with a lot of crossfit uh, pain and um, blood lactate or hydrogen um, re- sort of response and then neuromuscular is, is the very last one so type six and this is just like your speed training all out or it's your uh, gym kind of training so we basically use that whole system with the types when you can actually see those stresses in the program you can. Uh, it helps you from a practitioner standpoint, if uh, in the targeted kind of approach, because you can, you, um, if you use the type system first, you can really see where you're getting the the loads and the deloading in your program. You can just. It just sort of helps. And and again, if you know how to move the levers of hit training, um, then you can you can actually. you you can be quite clever with your programming and taking that target approach as we've been speaking on.
0: That would be very interesting to see in those different levels, how you breathe, but also in between the interval sessions. Like if you do 20 seconds, like there's a popular exercise in CrossFit on the minute. So if you Mm -hmm. work for 20 or 30 seconds, how do you breathe? And also how do you breathe after to recover for the next one, to lengthen your nose breathing if possible to exhale slowly to recover as much as possible but also how and compare the six different levels but also to see how fast can you get down to after one minute after the whole training is completed after five minutes back to Mm -hmm. baseline to see how breathing if you do one session without any type of breathing next session identical session with uh, you know breathing recovery to see if you get a a difference in outcome be very interesting to see. I, I, I elaborate that on that myself. So, but with six different levels and testing back and forth, it's a, it's a little it's a little tricky. But uh, it would be it would be uh, very interesting to see how, how quickly you can come down before you go up again to kind of recuperate. Right. So yeah, well, um, I,
1: I think the I would guess that the more you actually trained with that purposefully, like the, that's like you know I, I wonder if you've done this. Um, yourself because like uh, and and again don't forget with those those latter two that I mentioned right the I didn't kind of mention the breathing aspect but the type the type fives and the type sixes uh, you know aerobic stimulus is low so therefore you should be able to apply those those nose breathing principles um, as best as possible would be because there's a low aerobic response. Type four is going to be impossible. You're at VO2 max, right? That's not the purpose of it. But in the type fives and the type sixes, um, there's, you know, sure, maybe, you know, maybe it might be too difficult, but again, you could, it's something you could progress, right? You could, it's probably going to be difficult at first, but the, the better you got at keeping those, the keeping the nose breathing going throughout it, um, I, I, I bet you that would be sort of associated with an enhanced performance um, and the ability to repeat it probably as well because you're, again, we're always trying to shift. We think we forget about this, but when we become more fatigue resistant at high exercise intensities, the, that fatigue resistance is coming from an aerobic enhancement. So we don't often like to think about it, but those type two fibers are becoming more laden with mitochondria. So you're actually, even though it's, you're still in these big, you know, you're recruiting these big, um, powerful motor units and exploding in your power. Think of a, you know, always think of like a Michael Jordan, who could kind of continue to repeat these, uh, these just incredible moves and you just, you know, racing up and down the court. To me, he was just the epitome of, of, of someone who had completely um, aerobically developed his type two fibers. I don't know if that's the case, but that was kind of what I was thinking. He just did, he just did everything so effortlessly. And that's what, you know, beautiful, um, you know, back to really where what caught my eye with, uh, with sport and why I love sport was these types of athletes that just seem to repeatedly do these amazing feats and, and, I, and I believe that they're, they're doing this effortlessly because they're, they're mostly sort of aerobic through them. I don't know if that's the case, but that's sort of what I'm, that's what I feel.
0: Hmm. I, and and the, the, I mean, the reason for these levels is to train smarter so you can kind of optimize your training. So you go from, you know, uh, level four day, you go to one of the other types of day, like whatever, back to one or whatever. What, what are your thoughts, if any, using you have a level four day unless you're uh, really like world-class athlete using breath hold the next day also very tough anaerobic training but in a different way so now you you're not muscular unless you're using the diaphragm you could be on a bike or just walk very lightly but you can target that system could that could that be something to additionally enhance your your training so you don't have to go down and that that's just that's what i'm trying to do as well but a, but on a personal level is what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah perfect absolutely these are these are the types of tricks that you always want to use right um the, all the tools that you guys are are mentioning that you're using your um you know you we use we leverage these sorts of things when in in the right in the right context right because I've spoken to this with some of these elite coaches uh, in the world of running, say, for example, and top class 1500, 800 meter runners The you know, many have spoken with John Walker's coach when I was in New Zealand. These are these guys are these are multiple Olympians um, setting world records They're They've developed the tolerance to be able to do high intensity training uh, every single day or even twice a day. So they have, and that's the, but you know, using the principle of progressive overload, that's what they've reached. And that's what they've, to be able to optimize their performance, but not everyone's like that. And, uh, certainly I'm, you know, I've had my sort of career and I'm, I'm getting older now and I can't do that anymore. So I have got to use these different tools and tricks to try to get some more longevity out of the system in a, um, in the, in the right, in the right way. So, yeah, I just think like that's, but th- this is sort of how you can use the system to your point where if you know that you've had a hard session, a type four session on a given day, all guns blazing, well, I'll definitely need an aerobic, um, you know, dominant type one session tomorrow because I need to recover my neuromuscular system and my and my anaerobic system, or I'm going to, and I'm going to leverage the nose breathing concepts as well during that to to continue to, um, to stress that, you know, um, aerobic system, probably through, um, through an anaerobic uh, metabolism, but it's going to be low, it's going to be low, um, low neuromuscular. So that's a beautiful way to, to leverage that. That's exactly how you want to think, I believe, as a practitioner.
2: How mm-hmm. would you know, Paul? Um, I know, Daniel, we were interviewing a triathlete. I can't remember who it was, but he got well, chronic... Paul
0: t- Swedish guy who was hmm. best in Sweden about 10 years ago. He's he, he done some nose breathing tests as well. So uh
2: but yeah. was was it him like a chronic fatigue syndrome when he was bedbound for six yes, months yes. because we were is training?
0: With triathletes, I mean burnout is the the the, the load on training for a particular triathlete is pretty but immense. So
2: how how would an athlete know though if they're pushing it? Is it via heart rate variability or what think,
0: uh, yeah?
2: What devices, Paul like you're talking about one athlete who is able to push themselves? and their body can cope, but another athlete who may overdo it and their body shuts down,
1: mm-hmm.
2: how can an athlete be forewarned that they're overdoing it, that they have to back off a little bit or they have to bring in more rest and recovery?
1: It's, it's definitely the million dollar question. It's, it's difficult for every, every person, depending on their personality um, and so many other different factors and all the, all the various different stressors that are in their lives. But heart rate variability is indeed one marker of getting a, an uh, insight into your sympathetic and parasympathetic balance, right? How much stress versus um, versus rest your your you know your your balance is. This is this what these tools now are very practical from aura Ring to Whoop's to uh, phone cameras and HRV for training to Elite HRV uh you know there's so many out there that are using the that are leveraging this now you can do it very practically by monitoring this in the morning for uh, using a sample of one to two minutes and and then and yeah you get an indication you should never really you know react on a single day but what we do find uh is that if all of a sudden one week you your your HRV is in the tank in other words you're very sympathetic um, that is a big, that's a, and, and that is coupled with the feelings of, of stress, like, you know, you, you're also being uh, in tune with how you're feeling, um, probably unable to nose breathe as, as easy as well, all these sorts of things, then, you know, that's time to kind of pull, pull back mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, unfortunately, we do have this overall mentality within sport, this no pain, no gain mentality, that more is that miles win medals, that, you know, there's more is always better. And it's just not the case. Everyone is an individual and and you need to find out what works best for you. So just because a couple Olympians did do that, I, I know that's, you know, where they're doing high intensity interval training Uh, every day or twice a day it's it's just that that was they were able to do that at one point in their career Uh, obviously we you know we often see this in the the younger athletes but we don't often see that in the older athletes so we do see a change in this ability over over time and we have to recognize that um that that does change um you know depending on your age and and all these other factors you have to we mm-hmm. have to re- really have to recognize that stress comes in so many different forms from you know psychosocial emotional physical heat altitude sleep is the big one you know your, your, your how much you can actually sleep it, it will actually pull it back your nutrition uh, unknown things that are you know probably in our environment unfortunately um, mm-hmm. from, from EMFs to <laughs> Uh, to pollutants and and toxins in the food like there's just so many things unfortunately so um, yeah just um, this is where meditation or just becoming in tune a little bit with how you're tracking with your body your own body is a bit of an art to get but it's uh, it's definitely something worth working on yourself or with a coach Mm I would agree
2: I think a lot of people are very disconnected though. Um, I think many people who are very trapped in their mind are very analytical and they don't seem to have such a connect with their body that they could be under stress but they don't always feel it and probably that's where devices such as monitors for heart rate variability give them feedback of where they are in terms of the autonomic nervous system. And the other aspect then, sleep and sleep apnea, um, people who migrate are at greater risk of sleep disorder breathing and I'm often intrigued because In terms of recovery and optimizing HRV, one could be practicing breathing exercise during the day and meditation and relaxation. But then if they have their mouth open during sleep and if they are having events such as sleep disorder, breathing whereby their blood oxygen saturation is dropping, if it's an apnea or a hypopnea, that's going to arouse them from sleep, cause sleep fragmentation, but it pushes them into increased sympathetic drive So you could think of an athlete during the day, it's they're pushing their heart, but during sleep, if that same athlete is also prone to sleep disorder or breathing, they're also pushing their heart and they're not getting that recovery. And it's especially the bigger guys, not so much the triathletes, but um, men with an extra conference of say greater than 17 inches. And we always have a thing with with people never wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. Because if you wake up with a dry mouth in the morning, you're more likely to have sleep fragmentation and you don't get that slow wave, deeper sleep for recovery. And it can be a very simple thing. We've been taping mouths for 20 years. I know that sounds probably a bit bizarre, but... Uh,
1: no, I was, been... I was actually
2: just going to mention
1: that. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a roll of duct tape by my, uh, by my bedside and that's... Uh, oh, yeah that's another big big one because yeah i, I if i if i ever do have a hat, wake up with a dry, with a dry mouth i know mm. that i've gone reverted back to that and it's time to uh, time to put the the roll of duct you know a piece of duct tape over for the yeah. next night. Oh we've
2: easier we use uh, we have our own tape, smile tape but oh nice but just uh, <laughs> yeah the tape and if somebody wants to buy say just you can buy 3m 1 inch micropore tape from a drugstore but for yeah. me it makes a phenomenal difference and Same. A simple, it's a simple tip just to get nose breathing during sleep for recovery. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. So uh, I don't know if you know Alistair Brownlee, but he's a he's a collaborator with us on uh, so a couple of our projects. Uh, two-time Olympian for for um, for Great Britain, and uh, Al, you know Alistair says that uh, he said that because uh, I asked asked him on, on my podcast about uh, about recovery, and he says, well, for me, recovery is. Ninety percent sleep, nine percent nutrition, and one percent all all fluff. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, for him the big the biggest one was sleep. If he sleeps well, he's recovering well. Yeah. And this is from you know double Olympic gold medalist. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you know it's it's something to worth worth paying attention to. And I think we, we all know. Sorry, Daniel. How do you how do you know? Like if you go from level four to
0: level one, like now recovery sleep is important, but What about, I know, cold exposure, sauna, even even, uh, intermittent fasting, like intermittent exposure. You got breathing, fasting, cold exposure, high intensity, all these things. Do you work with, like, if you talk about the holistic approach, like you can call it temporary exposure, temporary physical exposure for permanent mental improvement, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. You work with that as well, surrounding... Your physical training with cold exposure sauna
1: uh, and uh, and diet. Well, this is why I just I, I mean all these things have their place, right? And this is why, again, within hit science, we all we you know this is this from Martin, he uh, my my colleague, he says you know uh, content is key. Sorry, content is king, but context is god. So it's like the more you can be intuitive uh, and. I guess, you know, study up on the benefits of all of these different factors and when, when they might be beneficial, then you can actually, you know, you can apply those at the, in the right place at the right time. So yeah, all of these things have their place. Heat, heat is a, is a wonderful tool or weapon to use in your, in your arsenal because of all of the various different cardiovascular adaptations you can get. So you know you can get up to 140 beats a minute in the sauna, if you, you know, um, and you, so you can have like an aerobic workout and you can work on your nose breathing there at the same sort of time, um, you know, loads of different adaptations happening at the same time there, same with a cold exposure. That's another beauty uh, and a great, you know, stimulus to the, to the nervous system in a positive manner. It's gonna probably help you sleep. Um, all just you know it just depends on the situation and what you have sort of in front of you so just keep uh it's great to have all of these things as a, as a as a passion projects and finding out as much as you can about all of them and then you you pull those levers and you use them in your program when um when when they feel like they're they're um they're appropriate what you do have to be careful on is that you're not using something that is if you get too much of a good thing for example like hit training you're using hit training all the time and it's not appropriate well then that's going to disturb your sleep and actually going to push you backwards same with heat training it is a sympathetic you know it'll drive your sympathetic system as well and and that can be inappropriate if done you know in you know too much so all of these things um there's there's a there's a fine line right and you got to get the right stress at the right time and that's becomes a bit of an art, uh, the art and the science.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I, I've, I've done a lot of cold exposure as well. So, uh, and also heat exposure. And, and I know it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's tricky when to do it and, and how to do it, because it seems like sometimes whatever you bring in and breathing is a key component, especially for cold exposure. If you bring in a calm breathing and relaxed breathing, on the other side, for me at least, you're even coming Your HRV spikes. You can And you can use the water ring to test it. If you're just trying to do a session just to get it over with and you're stressed, you can get the reverse result. So it, it's, yeah, like you said, it's uh, it's not just doing it and going through the motions. You actually have to be vigilant of what you're doing and actually, and you feel it, but you can also measure it. So that's that's a good thing. So it's interesting to hear, hear that you're, you also work with that and probably many other things along the way as well. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's,
1: you, I couldn't have said any better.
0: Yeah. So uh, now it's, it's. Uh, I mean, I have, uh, what type of measurement devices, by the way, do you, I mean, you, you mentioned the war ring, you, you track that any, what else do you use as kind of tests to gauge uh, athletes?
1: Yeah. So that's absolutely. So it's the same sort of thing that we were talking about um you know the things that get that get measured they, sorry it's, it's like with the HR with the HRV that that was the, the similar line of thinking with the HRV they're great little tools to kind of almost confirm what you already know and it's the same and it's very similar with when we're measuring things in the endurance field that's my specialty so uh if I'm on the bike I'm measuring power output because that's so easy to do now. I'm also measuring heart rate because, again, that's so easy to do now with wearables. Um, or if I'm, you know, in a runner, we're measuring uh, speed with GPS, again, because it's so, you know, it's, it's just it's so seamless and, and easy now. So all of these things can give us insight into our pace or our intensity control at intensity during the exercise. And this is just like so many of these other factors, uh, or sorry, uh, I believe it was what Patrick was saying was he was saying that people aren't just naturally intuitive on, on these things. So wearables do have a place in the fact that they can teach us a little bit about ourselves and where these sorts of things are sitting. And I find that in some of my athletes where when they start with these, these, um, these wearables for the first time, and they're measuring their pace, power output, and heart rate, and I'm telling them to go in certain zones. Right? We use like a five zone model, where it's like you know easy, recovery, uh, steady. Um, uh, would you would be um, like you know hard, very hard, super hard, something like that in a five zone kind of model? They start to know where these these uh, these markers are, and that's the the great, I believe. Um, advantage of, of using these sorts of wearables is that the more they do it they, eventually they don't even need to look at mm. what power or pace or heart rate they're going at they just they know what the prescription is and they go they know what that is and they might just glance down and just do a little check every once in a while but for the most part it just the, the mind get gets locked into the prescription and the task at hand and then that's just nice, just to have that sort of mm. that pace and exercise, exercise control. And then you can, yeah, once you have that, you can work on other things like the nose breathing and these sorts of things. Mm. I,
0: I cool. have at least, <laughs> Patrick, if you don't want one, one final question for you, Paul, if you take a triathlete and uh, uh, at least when they're doing a competition, they don't really, they don't really, um, they're never at rest, so to speak, they're always in motion versus like a team sport like football or soccer european football that you you you're in motion most of the time but how do you if you can make make any examples how do you train them differently in a sport that's very long in endurance versus somebody that, you know on and off a little bit more but both can use high intensity do you have any
1: general guidelines for that yeah, for sure. The, the, you have to appreciate the, the context of both both uh, populations, ultimately, right? So I think we've kind of spoken mostly about the triathlon or endurance sports specialists, where they're, they tend to be a little bit more geeky, and they know uh, that these wearables can give us all these sorts of things. So it's quite easy to prescribe according to the paces and the, the zones that I just sort of mentioned. Um, but now we go to the team sport context that you bring up. And they don't really want to have a wearable or, and a lot of times they don't wanna do conditioning sort of exercise. So you have gotta get a little bit more clever with these. Um, and you might, you we might use something called like small sided games uh, where you you create like a, you create basically a, a game that's uh, a you know, mini scrimmage ultimately where they're performing that, but they might, then you might actually have certain goals and aims of that scrimmage or that you know to actually induce the intensity and you do it for a certain duration and you know you're going to do this game for at a certain uh, rate ultimately for for a given time and um so you got to get a little bit more clever with that now of course when you reach the more elite stage in the in footballs well then then it's time to have a big big boy or big girl talk you know it's like come on we, we you know you want to how 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 good do you want to become we need the conditioning on a certain day and then we might use some of these short intervals with changes of direction um, to make sure that they are um you know they're topped up in in these these parameters because one of the key things for team sports is the injury risk right if they're not getting the right stimulus in uh in their, uh, in their program, um, especially with that neuromuscular component um, at, at high intensity. And then all of a sudden they're not getting that for like a week and all of a sudden it's game day and everything's on the line and they're sprinting down and all, you know, we've got a hamstring injury or whatever the case may be just unacceptable. So that's where we've got to have the, you know the programming in appropriately at the right spot. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah does that make sense yeah and it's also like i understand it's also
0: it's not just sport specific it's also personality specific because you know the triathletes are usually there are people looking for that extra edge constantly while you know people in maybe in team sports are a little bit different as well so you have like you said have have um the finger on the pulse a little bit to what works for that particular person or sport it's mm-hmm. so that's uh I can kind of read between the lines as well that you have to find your way, whatever works in whatever sports you're in as well. You can't <laughs> generalize all sports on the planet and say, this is what you need to do. But you have to move, you know, uh, with, and have different programs for each sport almost. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We always
1: say context. Context is God. <laughs> You've got to know the context. <laughs> yeah, I'll stuff. remember that.
0: Uh, Patrick, you any any final questions here?
2: no i think it's been great um i think it's been some great points here so it's it's been a great conversation so yeah yeah, i'm pretty much uh done
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) any any last thoughts from you as far as where you see hit and maybe breathing in the future you think it'll come closer as far as uh, uh see what you can do with hit with hit and breathing in combination or what are your thoughts
1: well, yeah, I mean, honestly, if, like I'm, this is I'm playing with this P100 right now, um, you know, with with uh, my colleague Steve Neal. and this is just, again, it's like it's the same sort of thing that that you're talking about, Patrick, with with the nose breathing and stuff. I, I just I still don't think we're we're done with um, targeting certain aspects according to context, right? So um, we're I'm getting some pretty cool. It's almost like, you know, the, the whole respiratory muscle system, right, is, uh, is a whole other coordinated um, musculoskeletal um, area. And um, one thing I'm just kind of fascinated with is the, the control of my breathing that I've gathered, right? So now when I go up and I, I do my, my type 4 VO2 max intervals, well, I've actually got better. I'm feeling like I've got more control on my breathing towards the latter aspect of that. It doesn't feel as disjointed or i actually mm-hmm. feel like I'm controlling my respiratory muscles more. So I, I guess to answer your question is that's, that's that's what I'm I'm curious about right now, I'm I'm looking at that. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll do a, a part two next year or something like that. And, uh, and I can tell you a little bit about what I've discovered.
2: Oh, that would be great. Excellent. Look forward to it already, Paul. Awesome, thank you, guys. So- thank you so much, Paul. Pleasure, Paul. Thanks very much.
1: Thanks, guys. All the best.